Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to Wannabe, the podcast that takes you from where you are now to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. I'm Imriel Morgan, founder of Content is Queen, a podcast community committed to amplifying diverse voices. Want to unleash your voice? Visit contentisqueen.org to discover our creator community and how we can take your podcast to the next level. Back to Wannabe. Season six is all about women in sport and fitness. I'm beyond thrilled to bring you an episode with a real game changer today. Today's guest is Hope Powell. Now, Hope Powell is no stranger to breaking barriers. She's a football icon who shattered glass ceilings at every turn from playing to coaching. She was the first woman to achieve a pro license and the first black person to be named coach of any English national football team. But beyond her trailblazing accomplishments, she's an advocate for diversity, inclusion and fighting adversity. In today's episode, we're diving into Hope's incredible journey. You'll learn about her transition from a young player defying stereotypes to a managerial powerhouse in football. We talk about the glass cliff, the audacity to be a leader and how to stay true to yourself even when you're the first in the room. So sit tight, get ready to be inspired, and let's get into it, shall we? So, who did you want to be before you became who you are today, and why? I wanted to be a professional footballer. Didn't from the look, very beginning, you from, just knew that? From the very beginning of kicking a ball around on the estate, watching, I think the the... The thing that really did it for me was the 78 World Cup mm-hmm. and watching it in its entirety on TV, the fans, the games. I just watched and I thought, oh, I want to be a professional footballer. But I used to play football on the street and that's what I wanted to be from a very, very young age. Considering you wanted to be that, who did you see? Who were you looking up to? I remember Peru and there was a black player who... I guess I just fell in love with. He was the star <laughs> of Peru. He just, it was a light, but he was just brilliant. And I guess I was a bit in awe. And the nice part of this story is years later in 2008, when I went to the Olympics, I actually worked with him. Amazing. As a technical observer. But that World Cup just really, really honed me, I guess. It really inspired me because I just loved football. I played on the street. I got in trouble, not coming home on time. I snuck out when I wasn't supposed to go, stayed out, got in trouble, (laughs) went out again, got in trouble. All for playing football, not even like you were doing shenanigans. (laughs) No, I just think it was more a cultural thing. West Indian Indian parent, I'm going to say my mum brought me up, and not understanding that, that probably especially football is a girl thing, Mm -hmm. girl, child, and football just don't comprehend. Boy, child, Mm -hmm. girl, child, no. So there was a bit of a fight, a battle when I was growing up about my love of football 
in all sports, you, you know, that wasn't a thing that girls did, certainly in West Indies. When you said girl child, it just like brought yeah. back memories of me and my grand-grand just butting heads constantly yeah. about yeah. just wanting to do regular things. And she's yeah. like, no, girl children girl. don't do that. But yeah, this idea that there's these kind of things that girls do, boys do, and it's like very fixed mm. in that household. So how did you overcome that? At what point... Did maybe your mum's attitude change towards you? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a lot of fighting, to be honest. She probably got a completely different story, my mum. But I think the realisation that it kept me out of trouble, mm-hmm. you know, and actually I was quite good at it. And we got to, back in the day, they used to have Met Police Five Asides. And it was a big deal. You used to go to Wembley, the arena, and oh, wow. loads of other teams were there. And, you know, actually we won. And I got the trophy player of the tournament. Oh, wow. And I, I just remember that being part of the turning point and her realisation that this is good for me. She probably wouldn't view it that way. She probably said that she let me go, but she didn't. I guess you you said you played on the estates and mm. on the streets and with other kids. But how are you getting better? How are you training and yeah. getting more skilled? And how are you? Know, how do you know that you're getting better and more skilled? Yeah, I I think um, before I joined an organised club, the the street football because I played essentially with boys. There was no other girl on the estate. I grew up on an estate that that actually played, and it was competitive. It was my football education at a very very young age, and the fact that. I was very good at it, had a relationship with the boys, but they also didn't want a girl to be better than they were. So they tried even harder, which made me try harder, which made them. And, you know, and then it, it just went like that. And then at the age of 11, I got picked up by a girl who, in my secondary school, a girl who played organised football for Mill Lionesses. And she said, you should really come along. And then I went along and I was absolutely flabbergasted. Number one, the amount of girls that played. Mm -hmm. Number two, it was organised. There were bibs and cones and goals. And I was like, oh, was there grass? (laughs) Actually, we trained on concrete. There wasn't grass at the time. But but that was of its time. But it was organised. There was a coach that coached the girls. And I think from there he saw some potential in me and and really honed my skills, I guess. Amazing. I suppose, like, had that girl not been there, would that opportunity have really unfolded? That seems like a pivotal moment in your career where actually you're like, there is a way for me to play and there's actually a space where I can do that. Really important it is about opportunity. And Mm -hmm. I think for any young girl, any black young girl, finding those opportunities and more more importantly, accessing those opportunities is, even today, it's a challenge, yeah, a big challenge. And I was really fortunate because my coach, I went, the first time I went, so she told me, um, we're training here, it was in Eltham. Training here? I was 11. I mean, I'm hearing about these places and I don't have very good... Eltham. Yeah, right? Eltham okay. and Millwall both yeah. have yeah. really bad reputations, yeah. or yeah. had very yeah. bad reputations, especially around yeah. race and racism. Yeah. So the training so. was in Eltham. Mm-hmm. I was 11 years of age. I got there myself on a bus. Wow. Um, Hope this is so brief. <laughs> I got a lift through my friend on the bus, but I had to come back... On your own. On my own, 11. What was I doing... But I got home and that was it. 
all hell broke loose. I can imagine. Yeah, and you can imagine. Yeah. But it, it was, I mean, it was organised. It was everything I wanted it, how I wanted football, how I viewed myself. It felt professional. The club were Millwall. Actually, the club, the name Millwall, the men, and the name Millwall Lionesses, worlds apart. So it was just name. And, you know, it wasn't... The fans of Millwall back in the day were what it was, but the club that I grew up in and stayed with for years was fantastic. And, yeah, I, I went training, I went home, and that's it, you're not going again. Uh, but I'd been asked to play at the weekend, were well, you not going? Uh, but I went anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and kept going. And I went going. anyway, got in trouble, yeah. but I went anyway. I do want to touch on the part about accessibility mm. of opportunities I mean, compared to back when you started and were invited to this, uh, invited to Millwall, what are the routes in for a young girl today? Yeah, there are lots of local clubs. There are so many local girls clubs, grassroots clubs. There are thousands. I think the best, if any young girl wants to get involved, go on the FA.com and, you know, type in nearest local club. I'm guessing it's something like that. And it should be able to point you in the right direction. Local county FAs should have the registration of all local clubs, certainly in the grassroots end. So, But I think the challenge is, as you try and go through that pathway now, mm -hmm. and that's where I think the accessibility starts to wear thin because if you're considered a good player to get on that elite pathway becomes a little bit challenging right because you can't access it and the the reason for that is basically and and I was part of this years ago we wanted to try and professionalize the game yeah at the earliest opportunity so we attached the talent pathway to clubs professional clubs because it looks professional. It feels professional to the young 11-year-old girl who goes and sees it. And, oh, my God, this is brilliant. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, the the facilities are there already. Mm -hmm. And it cuts cost. Yeah. Sensible. But what perhaps we didn't take into account years ago is that these centres on the pathway, they're in leafy Cobham. Or... Of course. So I think, you know, that has made it, I must say, the accessibility is hard for for inner city kids, low income. Low income, I was one of those. If I'm flipping it and putting myself in, in the 11, 12-year-old shoe, you can't get there. Yeah. Can't get there. How do you get there? How do the kids get there? When I started at Millwall, the coach, in the end, the coach dropped me home and the coach picked me up. Amazing. And if he, if he didn't do that, you wouldn't I wouldn't be there. sitting in this chair. Yeah. And actually the coach, I've got to give him a shout out, Alan May. He's still my mentor coach today. Yes, I, I think that's been my observation. I can't help but notice <laughs> that a lot of these players are white. And I, I guess like my assumption or my thought process would be that in the women's game, because it's not seen as, as developed in the same way as the men's sport, that there would be more, it would feel easier to get into or that it would feel more accessible or more inclusive in that way. And I, I, I imagine in lots of ways it is, but also, yeah, I just, I, I, I thought well, I would isn't. see more. But you see it more in the men's game that yeah. there is actually a real wide diversity of men yeah. playing from, I guess, a real diversity of backgrounds to an, to an and there's extent. A, and there's a reason for that as yeah. well, because in the men's game, the clubs, they will put on transport to go and pick the kids up. 
take them home, pick them up wherever. So it's like know, an investment in that. It's talent an investment as well. in the talent. And to be fair, when I was at Brighton, to be fair. We did that. We started that. So what what we did was we, um, the club, brilliantly put proposal together. They understand it. They invest in a driver, a minibus that can go and into the inner cities, do the recruitment, bring them in and take them home. But what's happening now is I think the FA recognise it. We all saw it at the final. We can't help but see mm-hmm. the colour of, you know, the pitch. Does It's not representative of society. I think they recognise that. And credit to them, they're trying to address it. I'm sure it will happen because if it can happen in the men's sport, it's only a matter of time that actually we recognise or acknowledge, or at least there is a level of acknowledgement that diversity actually does benefit everyone. Absolutely. Uh, but yes, thank you for speaking on that because I, I, I guess, yeah, it was something that was abundantly clear to me. <laughs> but I have, I just, one, as an outsider or as a spectator in this, you just don't know what, what the blockages are, what the challenges yeah. are to increasing uh, representation Absolutely. across the board. So women are often told that we shouldn't be competitive. It's nonsense. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a bad idea. Oh, it's no, un, it's, it's unladylike to be competitive and want to win or excel or be ambitious. And there's loads of things that we get told that we shouldn't do mm. or shouldn't be. Or it ca- it's not that we're explicitly told always. It's kind of not implied. Ladylike. Yeah. But in terms of your career progression and your excelling in your career, mm. how did you deal with competitiveness was it always something that was in you like I must win at all cost or d- was that something that, that kind of came in ebbs, ebbed and flowed and you nurtured it and, and found a healthy way to be competitive and go on to win I can only tell you from how I've been I was told I can't and I thought I can so you did so <laughs> I just tried and you know you come up against people that I don't, I don't know guess don't want you to succeed or you know, make it very difficult. And I guess that that's always made me rather than step back, step step forward. And I'm not I'm not brave. I'm not a brave person. I think brave is far beyond me. I am not brave. But I think my the fact that I was passionate about it, being involved in football as a player first and foremost, and I loved it so much and I felt I was good at it was my driver and then everything else that tried to block me it just made me want it I guess even more and if that is competitive then yes and then when you're on the pitch playing of course I want to win and I think as a black female you know going from playing to management you know a black female that my driver then was I think I have a real responsibility here that was serious I cannot foul for me first and foremost Mm -hmm. But for everybody else that looks like me after me, female, black, male, black, female, I thought was really important. And that really drove me. At what point did you realise you had that or that that responsibility or you felt that responsibility of your representing? When I was offered the England job. Right. Okay. So when you transitioned from player to management. As a player, it was purely wanted to play for the team. I loved the people that I played with and for still my friends today, because there's something about sport that brings everybody Mm -hmm. together. It's the team. You don't want to let people down. You build really long lasting life, life friendships. But the the getting the England job was a real, I think, moment for me that made me go, this is a big deal. Yeah. And by the way, a lot of people probably want you to foul. 
And that was never an option for me. Yeah. It was so much so in the first year at the FA, I got pleurisy. I just was so unwell because I was, you know, I was on it. I was like in everything. I was absolutely on it because I refused point blank. You cannot, you have to do everything to make sure you succeed. You do your best to ensure that happens. And that brings us to the halfway mark of our episode. Isn't Hope's story just inspiring? We're taking a quick break, but stay tuned because we're about to dig deeper into what it takes to not just break barriers, but also to sustain that leadership over time. Don't go anywhere. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Let's get straight back into it. I definitely wanted to get to taking on the management of the England women's team because that is definitely not an, not an insignificant job. Um, no. It's a big responsibility. You saying yes to that, of course, that is a really pivotal moment. You're the first black woman to do this job. And so I can I can understand like all of this is going to be going through your mind and that you do want mm. to do a good job because that's just the nature of being the first mm. anywhere, the first in the room, mm. the first to climb to it, new heights. And it sounds like the pressure of that, though, was immensely difficult. And so how were you coping with that pressure? Where were your safe spaces? What was your coping? What, what was giving you relief and respite from that res- responsibility at the time, especially at the beginning? Um, the scrutiny think, would have been at its highest, I guess. Yeah, I think friends were really supportive. But for me, the guy that coached me at Millwall was the guy that also helped me think things through, logical, and just gave me that safe space to go, ah, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. Help. This is crap. Oh, I don't know. And being able to offload and get some support and reason. You know, your family's one thing, mm-hmm. but he's bit, you know, he was a manager in BT, quite senior. He understood how to manage groups of people, dynamics, and all of those things. You know, the family's one thing, and, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's different, but, but he just gave me a safe space to say, oh my God, I feel like I'm drowning or I tried this and this was crap or this is getting on my nerves. And, you know, he he just reasoned with, he got me to reason with myself and think things through with more clarity. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this, have you thought about this? And why did you do that? And, you know, challenging in the right way without telling me what to do, just making me look at things with with a clearer head. Yeah. 
and that was really helpful. Was this Alan still? This um, is Alan May. If you're listening yeah. to this, you're getting a big, big up on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alan. That's really great to hear because I think sometimes you can suffer in silence. And, you know, even today, you, you know, everybody in a role, you become a little bit fragile, a little bit unsure of the word imposter syndrome. I think mm-hmm. we talk ourselves into that sometimes, but it's real. So I think, you know, anybody that's starting on a journey and a little bit, you know, somebody, you need somebody, I think. You need somebody that can, you know, you can talk things through with. And I, and I do that for people. You yeah. know, what Alan did for me, I'm now doing that for people, which is fantastic. So I'm just paying, paying it, forward. it forward. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. With the imposter syndrome stuff, because it, it, it did occur to me that actually you're going from playing, enjoying sport, being around people that you kind of know, love, mm. get really familiar, have tremendous amounts of respect for, and then you're literally transitioning into to the other side what was going through your mind when the when the call came through and when you when you were asked i actually said to them is this is this a token (laughs) gesture black female female partner everything tick every box is that what you're doing no you know and they could say what i mean this was 1998 yes yeah were they doing that then well it, it, it was a time when um the other associations were starting to employ female coaches. In fact, I knew that, you that okay, but black female FA, yeah. you know. So I did. I absolutely questioned it. I absolutely thought this. You're doing it to tick a box, and I did say it. Why are you doing this to go? You know. But I had coached. I had you know. I've been coaching since I was seventeen, eighteen. Always had an interest in coaching. And I had to believe what was said. No, we think you're the best candidate and stuff like that. And I had to believe it. I didn't have to. I chose to believe it. Mm-hmm. But then I went back and forth to the FA. But the first time I went and then I went back and I told my family and friends, they've just gone and offered me the bloody England job. <laughs> I thought I was going there for a youth. They invited me in not telling me what it was I thought they were offering me you know to be part of the youth setup you know we're going to help you develop to one day maybe be a senior coach no we want to offer you the job wow okay and I was like deadpan face cool <laughs> I'm like I'm not having this this is crap this is bullshit but I didn't say it and but I did say is this a why are you doing this me why not Debbie Bampton, Gillian Coulthard, senior to me, Debbie Bampton being the captain, Gillian Coulthard the next captain, I was vice-captain of England. Why not them? Why me? I didn't understand it, and it didn't sit well. But then I went home, friends from and they said, are you crazy? If you don't take this job, we're going to beat the living day. <laughs> what are you talking about? And I was like, it's a great opportunity. Are you mad? And then someone said to me, look, Hope, you'll be sitting, if you don't take this job, you'll be sitting, listening to this person speak and you'll be sitting there saying, "You could have, I could do this. And that really was the thing that made me take the job. And you said yes in 15 years. Long time. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it wasn't, it, it, it was more than just the England manager. It was the whole bloody thing, which I really enjoyed. And then when I took that and thought, shit, right, can't fail this. we got to do this right. We, the team that I then built, but... You know, this, we got to get it right because I'm not giving them, you, an opportunity to go, look, there you go. We put somebody, we tried, we and, tried they and they just can't cope, therefore. And I wasn't having that. That is fair enough. <laughs> <I wasn't having laughs> that pressure is 
yeah, <laughs> I think we've all kind of at least heard or directly experienced those moments mm. of, oh, no, but we tried that. Yeah. Didn't work out. Going back to your 11-year-old self and then to manager of the mm. women's team, at those two kind of junctions, and obviously there's like a whole host of mm. accolades and yeah. trophies in between for your career, but going from like the 11-year-old to the person that's now the England manager, could you have foreseen where women's football has gone has come today could you have foreseen it getting to this point it's definitely what we wanted it's what we all worked for and and even today we you know where it's gone crazy above the scale isn't mm-hmm. it you got transfer fees it's got you know the press we all wanted this so i th- i think it's a hard one because we all wanted it but we weren't sure yeah. i think that it would and it's not where it should be, by the way. It's mm-hmm. so much better than, than it was. There's still, you know, I, th- I think the media, they only talk about the top part of the game, the yeah. England. There's a whole pathway, the grassroots game. There's professional footballers earning not very much money, having some, quite often to get other jobs. Yeah. So it's not where the whole game isn't where we want it to be, but where it is with the attention, the, the you know, the media, the celebrity status. Yeah. We wanted the attention on the women's game and still want it on the women's game, but we, we were working towards it. It was a fight. So, you know, we weren't really sure. We just kind of felt if we put the appropriate things in place and hopefully... At some point, whether it's now, next year, 20 years, 50 years, somebody will push it further forward. So the question I actually want to go back to from something you said earlier, and it was around like the tensions that you had with your mum and this, I wanted to do it anyway. I'm going to do it by like by any means necessary. But the question is, where do you get your audacity from? I've I've grown up, I've seen my mum go through some really difficult times and it's made me a fighter. You know, I've seen some things that perhaps as a child I should never have seen. Mm-hmm. And it's just made me a bit belligerent, a bit, no, you know, almost like women, we have a right, even my, even though my mum was saying you can't go, I have a right, I have a right, to, and I can do it and I will do it. it it's just, it's in me, yeah. you know, for, for probably experiences I've had, I think. Just it's just been shaped. Yeah, I think so. Has it gotten more powerful over time? Do you think you've become more audacious in life? Yes and no. I I have to be a little bit, I guess, conscious of how I'm viewed. Quite often, you know, do people find me scary? Yes, hope they do. (laughs) Why? Well, because you're so. Where is that coming? Do you think that's coming from? Just because. Just be- the positions you've held, or is, do you think some yeah. of that is like on the racial lines of assertiveness being re, reframed yeah. as aggression? Absolutely, absolutely, and and the fact that I'm comfortable going, well, I disagree. Well, just because you are seen as that person, I don't know, I don't know, somebody who you know is a decision maker that other people wouldn't challenge. I absolutely challenge anybody, and I think you know, I think my mum's given me that. She doesn't realise, but I always say I credit that to my my mum. You know, it's okay. It's okay to ask. You might not get what you want. It's okay to ask and disagree, which is what I've always in the role as a leader. I think one of the things that I really empower my teams to do. Look, but my first question when I've you know did, what do you think? Tell me what you think. And it's okay to disagree because. 
I don't know everything. If you are a leader in a in a position of influence, you should allow people to challenge your thinking. I think it's healthy. Mm -hmm. I agree. I love hearing your story mm. because it you kind of kept it and you went into a leadership role and you maintained it where actually so many of us could just fall back, shrink. No be silent in the room or actually I'm I'm lucky to be here so let me not rock the boat. When I was at school I was so shy and I am still quite shy and I think sometimes our culture is be seen and not heard. I found it hard to ask questions. I was so shy, you know, mm -hmm. and I think it, it kept me back a bit. Yeah. And I think as a, you know, you get older and, and you, you, you realise that it's not a good thing. So now I go, having all those experiences, having all of those people look at you in a certain way, quite often you're not seen in the room, you're not seen, yeah. I've been there, I've, I've been in conversations where, you know, I'm in charge and the person's looking at the... God the white person and not me or the male mm -hmm. and not me. Ugh. I'm not compromising myself. I don't need to and I won't and I haven't done that for years. The English job, I'm not doing it. I'm just going to, this is who I am. If you think I'm aggressive, that's your problem. It's not my problem. You've got to deal with it. not my problem. It's not about me. It's about you. Agreed. But yeah. Just, Makes me a bit angry, actually. Honestly, but... Very angry. And you would have every right to be Makes because be, anger yeah. is a normal yeah. emotion yeah. and it's justified when you're dealing with unjust situations yeah. or unjust situations. What is the best advice you've ever received and the worst advice you've ever received? The worst advice, you know, sit in the corner, be quiet, don't say anything. Mm. Have a voice. And and people are quite often afraid to say things because they feel stupid, don't they? Yep. Listen, if you feel stupid, so is the next one. Have a voice. Be brave enough to, uh, you know, have that voice. The best advice, take the job. Oh, that is good advice. Take the English job. Take the job. <laughs> take the job, Hope. That was the best advice. I took it. And I think as a result of that, I'm sitting here, aren't I? Yeah. Thank you so much for sitting here with me. Thank you for Thoroughly having me. It. It's been fun. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'll take the compliment. I mean, wow. What an incredible journey Hope Powell has had. From facing adversity at every corner to turning those challenges into motivational fuel. She is the epitome of resilience and determination. I hope her story inspires you to chase your dreams regardless of the hurdles that stand in your way. And that's a wrap. If you know someone who would benefit from today's wisdom, share this episode with them now. Keep up with the latest from Wannabe by following us on your favourite podcast player and Instagram at contentisqueenhq. Until next time. Bye. This is a Content is Queen production, hosted and produced by me, Imriel Morgan, editing by Joseph Perry, sound design by Amber Miller, and the production assistant was Sharai White. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started.